Okay, if you want to take your seats, if you're here in the room with us, if you're watching at the home, do whatever you want. You can uh, go and make yourself a cup of coffee. Just keep watching, of course. Right, if you are, uh, have a Bible with you, if you want to find the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you could probably just Google it and find the passage. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and the first half of chapter 12 today. By the way, my name is Matt. If you don't know me, it's a very warm welcome to you all. It's great to have you here with us. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes is uh, a series we've been going through over the last few months because it's a book of, of wisdom. Uh, it's a book of wisdom for life, wisdom for us in a world that so often refuses to make sense, a world which seems chaotic and out of our control. This book speaks right into the heart of that. Although this book was written thousands of years ago, it gives us ancient wisdom which has truth and power for today. And uh, our, our guide through this book has been this slightly mysterious character, this preacher who started the book and has been giving us these little snippets and stories of wisdom as we go through. And he's coming to his conclusion here. We're coming to the end of the book. So he's going to give us some, some help, some uh, suggestions for us how to, to go forward in life. So I'm going to read verse, chapter 11 and the first eight verses of chapter 12. He says this to us, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life for vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. 
and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Jesus, we thank you for your word which sometimes comes to us and is mysterious sometimes appears at first glance not to make any sense but we believe that all of your word to us all of this book is wisdom that's here for our good and I just pray that you would speak to us today we're, we're eager we're hungry to hear your voice we want to go from here we want to turn off the TV having known you speaking to us drawing close to us so let our hearts draw near to you this morning and receive of you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1688, there was a, a Swiss psychologist called Johannes Hoffer, who he invented the word nostalgia. He took two Greek words, nostus and alchir, and put them together to make the word nostalgia, which those two Greek words mean to return home, or the, the longing, the desire to return home. Because he was, he was looking into uh, this phenomenon that had emerged amongst the Swiss army, who were obviously famous for their knives, but also famous for their, their longing for home, that they were sending troops out, and they were getting... Uh, Frantic, they were getting even sick with this desire to, to go back. They were suffering from nostalgia, from, I guess we could call it homesickness, a desire to go back. And they, they noticed again and again that what they called it was a, a disease of an afflicted imagination. That in how they were looking back was always somewhat tainted, was confused that how they remembered their past, how they remembered their home, was uh, always, at least in some case, in some way, incorrect. It was a false remembering. They would remember uh, the, the pleasant moments. They would remember the highs and all the enticing things that they wanted to get back for. And then when they actually got back to them, they realized that Nothing was quite as they had remembered. So they used to try and cure them. They would, they would uh, walk around them and ring uh, bells that you would get on the Swiss cows. That they, would, they would take them from trips back to the Alps to try and cure them of this nostalgia, this homesickness. It didn't really seem to work that much. This has been a problem for, for hundreds of years. The, uh, the Russian army in the, the 18th century, they noticed it with their troops when they were fighting against Napoleon and moving further into Europe, that the further away from Russia they went, the more homesick their troops became. 
So they had an unusual remedy. They would, they would find one person who was particularly struggling with this nostalgia. And as a warning to the rest of the troops, they would bury him alive. So there you go. Just be glad that you're not Russian and in the army 300 years ago. But this, this nostalgia, this homesickness, in a sense, we all suffer from it in different ways. Maybe you're here in Amsterdam and this isn't your home. There's often a longing that we have for the place where we, we grew up, the place we know, all those memories, all those emotions that we feel. But even beyond that, we all have a way of remembering the past which isn't quite real. If, you've, if you think back to your your earliest childhood memories, if you really interrogate them, you realize they're not really memories at all. They're a story that you've been told by a parent or a family member, or they're, they're based on a picture that someone's shown you. And if you go and ask, I've done this, I've taken my, my, my earliest memories and I've gone to ask my mom about them, and she'll say, well, that never happened. <laughs> but my memory is very, is very false about it. Because so many of our memories are wrapped up in things that we've heard, things that we've said, or they're wrapped up in emotions. We remember how we felt at the time. What actually happened, the facts of the matter, we might not be able to really give you any clear insight on, but we can remember how we felt. And this is true both personally and, and, and culturally as a, uh, as a people, as a country, as, as a city, we look back on our past and it's tainted with all sorts of false ideas. We look back and we think, was the golden age really that golden after all? It's difficult for us to tell. And this sort of forgetfulness that we all have, this nostalgia, which you could call the, the art of forgetting, this problem that we have in how we remember is is actually, it is a bit of a problem. Because often how we interpret the, the present or how we look forward into the future is based upon what happened to us in the past. If you think about your relationships, you, you assess how you're going to deal with a, with a person, with a loved one, based on how they've dealt with you before. It's so often with, with, with arguments, with disputes, it's very easy, easy to, uh, to, uh, to get, um, you know those moments where the argument just gets a bit hysterical? Well, actually what really happens is the argument often gets historical, that you remember things that they said, things that they did. It's very easy to hold a grudge against them and that affects how we treat them in the present affects how we think about them in the future based on our interpretation of the past, which is often very false, is often confused. And this flawed remembrance makes us not particularly good at living in the present, but also makes us pretty flawed prophets. We're not able to really look into the future with much confidence. And that's a little bit what this writer to us has been saying through this book as he comes back to this phrase at the end of chapter or in the middle of chapter 12 here where he said vanity 
of vanities, everything is vanity. Which is, if you remember, how he starts the book right at the beginning of chapter one. And he's talking about this idea that life is this vapor. And life, to do life, is like this phrase he uses a few times. It's like shepherding the wind. You, you, you can't shepherd the wind. We, we try and control it. We, 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 we try and make sense of it. We try and point it in certain directions. But life carries on regardless. And this problem that we have is that all the time we try to construct a, a reality from which we live, a, a narrative of our lives, a remembrance of our past that affects how we live in the present. All the time we're trying to interpret everything around us. We're trying to construct a, a reality of life that we can walk in. But without God, it's deeply flawed, trips us up. We get confused and you might just say, well, that's, the solution's easy. We'll just stop trying to remember things. You know, who cares about the past anyway? Let's just get on with life, build into the future. We'll just, let's just have a clean slate. Let's just forget everything that's gone before. Let's just move ahead. But that's not what he says to us here. He says to us in verse 1 of chapter 12, remember. Remember. Remember also your creator, in the days of your youth. This idea of remembering in the Bible is actually incredibly important and incredibly powerful because the Bible recognizes that how we remember the past does shape our present. How we remember the past will affect how we live forward into the future. These stories of our lives past shape us, they shape your identity, they shape how you respond, how you, how you act to things. Some of you, maybe you've come here this morning and you feel like you're, you're carrying wounds, hurts in your life, of things people have said, things people have done. You look back on your, your, your nostalgia isn't so much looking back on a, a wonderful home that you long to get back to, but looking back on a home that you're just so glad that you're now away from, but you feel the, the burden of it, the, the weight of it. And that can affect us all in good ways and in bad ways. It shapes our identity, shapes where we find meaning and purpose in life, shapes how we find joy in life. And what he says to us very clearly here is remember your creator. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I've got six points to help us to do that. To help us on how to remember, how to rem remember well. The writer Samuel Johnson said, we need more often to be reminded than informed. We have a hunger for new information all the time. But actually, what will really shape us often is, is remembering and remembering well. So our first tip on how to remember is to remember to walk backwards into the future. Walk backwards into the future. And that sense of nostalgia, that looking back, often is solely, completely looking back. 
It, it just wants to get back. It's hungry to get back, to, to recreate life as it was. And that's often a very negative thing. But there's also a, a sort of progressive impulse within us to always look to the future, to always want to be somewhere else, to always be five years, 10 years, 15 years, next week ahead of ourselves, and to forget to actually live in the present. But the biblical way of doing life is to remember God and apply that to your present and walk ahead in the future. We're told to see our present circumstances and our future hope in light of God's past faithfulness. Let me say that again because I think will help us. See your present circumstances and your future hope in light of God's past faithfulness. Not in light of your past performance. Not in light of what happened to you last week at work, last year in your studies, five years ago in your, in your relationships, 10 years ago in your, in your family home. No, we see our present circumstances in light of God, his faithfulness, his loving kindness towards you. And within that, we're told part of how we do that is to trust God, is to follow him. Here in this passage it says, cast your bread upon the waters. Give a portion to seven or, or even to eight. Some confusing verses, but what they're calling us to is a, a life of dependence upon God. Because when you remember your creator, remember his faithfulness towards you, the best way to respond is to say to him, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I, I, don't, I don't want my life to be shaped by all those other voices, all those other things. I want my life to be shaped by living in a, obedience, humble service to you. And as we look backwards, it gives us the strength, the, the identity in him to walk forwards into the future. Our second way of how to remember well is to remember that faith flourishes in mystery. Faith flourishes in mystery. He says in verse four of chapter 11, he who observes the wind will not sow. He regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a womb with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. See, because we find that we have, when sin comes into our life, often what it will do is it will promise you certainty. Promise you that if you do this thing, you will get pleasure. That if you do this thing, it will solve your problems. It will, at least it might distract you. And also it promises you control. That it won't get out of hand, that you can control it, that you can just do a little, that you can keep it contained. It does these things, it promises us certainty, it promises us control, whilst all the time reminding us of how weak we are. And yet it tricks us, it lies to us, and says, but, but this time, this time, it will be different. 
That's what sin says to us all the time. Promises us so much. And it promises us that we can control our lives, that we can control our destinies, that we can map out our own futures. That's the story that the world tells to us all the time. That we can map out, we can live out our own destinies. The world is our oyster. You can control it. You can have certainty of all your dreams and hopes. And yet Jesus says to us here, stop observing the wind. Stop observing the wind. And then he goes on to say, because you do not know the way the Spirit comes, which Jesus himself quotes in John chapter 3. And that word for wind and spirit in Hebrew, it's the same word, ruach. And what, what the Bible is saying to us here is that there's this impulse within all of us, as I mentioned already, this phrase that comes up in Ecclesiastes, we want, to, we want to shepherd, we want to control the wind. And if we can't do that, we will at least want to observe it. We want to watch it, try and predict where it's going to go. Try and forecast our future, what's going to happen. And if we've learned anything through this book, if we've learned anything through the last 18 months of our life, it's surely that so much of what happens to us is completely outside of our control. And that the only thing we can do is to stop trying to control, shepherd the wind, stop observing the wind and say, but I don't know the work of God who makes everything. I don't know his plans, his purposes. And sometimes he gives us, by his grace, he gives us hints and suggestions, maps out little steps of the way to help us, to encourage us. But so often, so much of life is putting ourselves into God's hands and saying, your will be done, your kingdom come. So we have to remember that faith flourishes in mystery. And number three, we have to remember that while we are young, we should seek joy. Some funny verses here where he says, Rejoice, so young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Now, what it's trying to get at here is that to be young, to have youth, and I won't let you, you can decide for yourself how young or youthful you feel today. But it's a, what he's getting at here is that to be young is often a time of a vision. It's a time of opportunity. It's a time of decision, of, of choice. It's a time when you can dream. You've got your life ahead of you. You can plan. You can dream. You can strategize. If I get this qualification, if I get this promotion, if I travel to this place, if I get this relationship, this number of kids, this type of car, these new shoes, it's full of dreams, hopes, and possibilities. But then he says to us, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life, vanity. So on one hand, he seems to be saying, just enjoy it. You know, just while you're young, live it up. Just have a great time. Rejoice in your youth. 
And then in the next verse, he's saying, youth is vanity, youth is vapor. Youth's gonna pass away. I think what he's trying to get at here is that so often that season of vision and choice and opportunity can fill us with so much hope, but that's often a thing that ends up crippling us. That it's the possibility of complete control of your life, which often leads people to, leads people into, into seasons of burnout, of pain, of just exhaustion. When there's so many choices on the table, or when you've made all those choices and decisions and then life seems to suddenly slam the door close on you. And this sense of vexation can come, this sense of like a, within yourself, just a crippling sense of just bewilderment and confusion that all the hope, all the opportunity, the doors have been, have been closed. And the rea- reality is, is that you're not, you're not actually made for that. You're not made to map out your own destiny. You're not made to shape all of your own future. You're not made to sort of be the master of your own fate. You're not. You're made to worship God. You're made to put your life into, into his hands. And when you, when you do that, when you say to God, I, honestly, I can't control, I can't shepherd the wind, I can't control my life, I need you, I, I just want to follow you. That's the most liberating thing you can do. Which seems, doesn't seem to make any sense. Surely the most liberating thing I can do is to do what I want. <laughs> but if, if you really uh, look at your life, you'll realize it doesn't really bring much liberty at all. Because we're not, A, we're not very good at remembering the past, but we're often not very good at navigating through the present. The best decisions I've made without God have been very poor decisions. The best decisions I've made when I've said to God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to follow you. That's often when fruitfulness comes, when blessing comes. And what he's encouraging us here too, when he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, is he's saying, decide when you're young. Decide now. There's this lie that so often comes, often to, to, to believers in Jesus or people who are, who are searching, asking questions of the Christian faith. Maybe that's you. You're not really sure about Jesus. You're exploring. You've got questions. There's a, there's a temptation that comes to say, well, I'm just going to wait to make that decision. I just want to enjoy life while I'm young. I want to get the best out of life. And surely to be a Christian is to sort of close down life. Is, is a Christian, Christianity is, is the life of kind of blandness. It's the life of grayness. It's the life of boredom. So I, I'll, I'll do that later. That's the, that's the mature thing to do. And when I'm mature, I'll do that. But right now, I'm just, it's party time. But what he's saying to us here is that the best way to get the most pleasure from life, the most joy from life, is to, while you're young, remember your creator. While you're young, follow him with all your heart, with everything. 
It's the best decision you'll make. Number four, we should remember that maybe some of you might see yourself in this other camp, but you don't have to put yourself here. But remember, whilst you're old, to seek joy. While you're old. He says this, he, he talks us through this sort of picture he, he kind of describes to us in chapter 12, where different, different people think it's about different things, but it's almost certainly about a sense of decay. He says, when the strong men are bent, when the grinders cease because they're few, people think that he's talking about your teeth, when your teeth begin to fall out. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. He's, he's probably talking about your eyes when your eyesight begins to fail. What he's talking about is decay. <laughs> is that you get older, you begin to decay. I turned 40 last week and I can attest to the fact that as I'm getting older, I have less hair, slowly diminishing. If I do sport, it takes me longer to recover. If I eat food, it stays on my body for longer. You know, I just, I'm slowly, little by little, wearing away. <laughs> it's just what happens to all of us. But this is what you wanted to hear this morning, right? I'm gonna to come to church and learn about my slow, inevitable decay. <laughs> but what happens is, you get older, is that the tug of nostalgia grows as the possibility of your youth begins to fade away. It's much easier to begin to look back more and more and think of, if I could go back, if I could make that decision again, if I could take that path again, if I could go down that route, if I could not start that relationship, or if I had started that relationship. The, the older we get, there's a less possibility ahead of us. There becomes a time when you think, well, I probably can't. I probably can't achieve the things I wanted to achieve anymore. So rather than looking forwards with hope, we begin to look back with regret. He talks about this in this passage. He says, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. See, a life without God, that's essentially what it will amount to you as you decay, as the possibilities of youth diminish, regret and despair will, will creep in. Because what else is there to live for anymore? And without God, your capacity for joy will slowly diminish. And yet, with God, it's not like that at all. One thing I really love doing is meeting old people, you know, not old like me, but like, you know, old, old, who are just happy. They've lived their life well. Not in that they've done all the right things, but they've just said, I'm just gonna follow Jesus. And they've just got this wonderful joy in their hearts because they've got no fear of death. They're just looking forward to going home. And they're not worried about all the silly little things that worry us because they've done life, they've been around a few laps, <laughs> they know what's coming and there's just a lightness to them. When Joe and I meet people like that, I'll say, I wanna be like that when I'm old. I don't wanna become one of those old people that's you know, just shouting at the TV and is just 
grumpy, and I do enough of that already. Like, <laughs> I'll be doing that this evening as I'm watching the football for sure. But as I grow older, I just I want to embrace what will be left of life with just a wonderful joy. And you do that when you know you've met Jesus. It says in verse seven that the dust remained, returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. See, our, our sort of dusty souls, our dusty being will decay away, but there's something of God within all of us. There's something of dignity within all of us that you're made in the image of God, that he's created you. And when you embrace that, there's such wonderful joy in there, knowing that I'm frail, but I've got the breath of God within me. The capacity to worship, the capacity for enjoyment, the capacity for enjoying God, the best enjoyment you can have is put within me. It's his gift to all of us. And we can remember that as we get older, that the breath of God is within all of us to seek him, to find joy in him. Number five of how to remember is to forget not all his benefits. That's what it says in Psalm 103. Forget not all his benefits. It will take us a long time to list up all the benefits of God towards us, but it's helpful sometimes to have a few a few verses that you've memorized to heart or some songs that you sing that just remind you of the faithfulness of God, just the love of God toward you. And in moments where you're tempted to remember other things, when you're tempted to look back with a, a painful nostalgia to just remind your heart of the goodness of God. Not remind your heart of of your own accomplishments. We're tempted to do that often. I can overcome because I've overcome before. But remind your heart that he's an overcomer. He's put his strength, his power within you, that his benefits to you go beyond and beyond. Because what your heart will do is your hearts will remember the longest but forget the best. They will. You remember all these emotional sort of flashpoints from your past. They're like seared into your brain. But they're so crooked. But yet God says, don't, don't, don't lean into all those things, but forget not all his benefits. That's why every week at this church, we, we want to tell you about Jesus. It's why we come here every week and we sing songs about Jesus. It's why we encourage you in normal times at least, is come to church every week. You don't need a week off. You don't. <laughs> because we forget and we need to remember. Every week, I, I, I want to be telling you about Jesus. We want to be telling you about Jesus because we know we forget. That's why Jesus said to us to take communion, the Lord's Supper, to remember regularly because we forget regularly. All the time I forget his benefits to me. I want to remember them because they do me good. Number six, finally, we can remember most wonderfully that, that he, he remembers you. Even when you forget God. Because so often I do. I'm sure you do as well. I remember God on a Sunday morning 
But by Monday afternoon, I've forgotten. On a, on a Sunday, I'll remember his goodness, his plans for my life. I'll have hope, and I'll be, yes, I'm going to live for Jesus this week. And then by Monday, it's all slipped away. So often, I'm, I'm trying to cling to other things to give me hope, other things to give me joy, forgetting that the only place to really find that securely is in Christ. But he won't forget you. He won't. It's just the wonderful thing about the grace of God is it remembers. And actually it says that God's, he's chosen to forget all of your sin once you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Those things he's chosen to forget. And what he's chosen to remember is his love for you from eternity past to eternity future. He will remember you. Let me finish by reading a, just one verse from the Psalms. Psalm 105, it says, he remembers his covenant forever, a word that he commanded for a thousand generations. His covenant, his steadfast promise to love you no matter what. That's what a covenant is, it's like a, it's a commitment. It's like when you get married, you, you make promises to one another. That's what happened when you became a Christian is that God made promises to you to love you. And yet, we, we break outside of that covenant all the time. We forget. We go our own way, but he never breaks his side of it. That he'll remember his covenant love for you forever. And we know that to be true because we look upon Jesus, what he's done for us, his great sacrifice for us, confirms to our hearts that he will remember us forever. He's remembered us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's given you the gift of life in him to the full. Let me pray, and then the band are gonna lead us in some songs of worship. Jesus, we... We just want to be a people that will remember you. And there are so many other memories that have cursed us that will try and trick us and deceive us. And we want to put those to one side, knowing your blood has paid the price for all of that. And we want to come and put our trust in you again. And we want to remember your faithfulness your covenant love toward us, your promise to do us good again and again and again and again for a thousand generations from eternity past to eternity future. We thank you so much for that, that you love us with an, an unending love, that your grace for us, your mercies to us are, are new and fresh every morning. And this morning, we just want to come and receive of your goodness again. We want to come and bring our hearts to you again and say, God, I want to follow you. I want to receive your grace and your mercy. I want to put my trust in you afresh. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. Amen.